Hey, friends, really quick before we get into the episode, if you are listening to this the day it comes out, that's Thursday, May 3rd, then you are in luck because tonight we have an incredible event with the people we have on the podcast today with Chattanooga Design Studios. We are going to be hosting the Robert Taylor Lecture Series presented by Chattanooga Design Studio, and it's going to feature Chuck Marone of Strong Towns, and he's going to be talking about neighborhoods first and the importance of neighborhoods for a thriving community. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, May 3rd, we would love for you to join us tonight at the Camp House at 530. All right, on to the episode. But then assembling a group, a task force, or whatever the appropriate term is to make sure that we, we have a keen focus on affordability and that we keep our eyes on that uh, as early as possible. Um, I'm very, very pleased. I was heavily involved in the, I call it the South Main Plan or the Bicentennial Plan, Cower Place, Fort Negley, Jefferson Heights. I'm very, very pleased that I hear that conversation happening more and more often every week, every other day. Uh, about the South Broad Plan because I think uh, it's one of the things that we have to get right this time. Yeah. We have to get right this time. It'll be, it'll be very difficult to uh, continue to fight the pressures, the upward pressures of real estate and uh, mobility pressures in that neighborhood, but we need to really, really intensively focus on it early this time. Welcome back to the Camp House Podcast and our conversation with the Chattanooga Design Studio. If you haven't listened to part one of this conversation, I highly recommend hitting pause and going back and listening to that first. This episode is going to focus on one project in particular, that's the South Broad District Study. And this conversation is highly visual, so it would actually be really helpful if you were to open up the show notes and click the second link, and that's going to open up the South Broad Study. And so you can flip through there and actually follow along much better with our conversation. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. I think maybe the the project you guys have been working on that most people might be familiar with or they've probably heard something about is, um, you know, the design studio. You guys were pretty instrumental in creating the South Broad District Study. So I think we're going to probably spend a lot of time talking about the South Broad District and, and, and sort of the, the amount of time you guys put into that. I mean, how, how much time did you guys put into the South Broad District study? I have no idea, but it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a huge project. Um, and we're not alone. Yeah, no. It, I mean, I don't, I don't think you guys are ever alone in what you do. It, you know, just talking like, like I said, I think at this point you guys are glorified <laughs> networkers. Um, so you always have a lot of partners. But about a month ago, or a couple weeks ago, you guys released a, it's a 136-page sort of booklet that is the South Broad District Study um, that's really putting forward a plan, of a visioning effort of what could be possible sort of uh, south of I-24. What, what are the district parameters when we're talking about the South Broad District? Sure. Um, the story of the South Broad District is is fairly simple in its tone. When, when I'm accepted the executive director position in, in March, um, I asked my board, if, uh, had a board meeting w- within a week of that session, I asked my board if um, the, their appetite to allow me to have a month to just listen to the community and find out really what, what the resource need uh, is and, how, and where it is. And as I met one-on-one with hundreds of community leaders, what I found out was that the South Broad District had several things in motion and maybe not collectively in motion but singularly in motion i would hear things like such as uh have you talked to uh gary chazen or any of the folks that own 
the Perimeter Properties uh, large foundry site? Have you talked to uh, the new owners of the Southside Gardens area with several several uh, parcels put together in the Southside Gardens area? Have you talked to TDOT? Have you talked to the state uh, about their transportation enhancements of I-24? Have you talked to anybody at Howard School because there's some energy there? And, and it became very clear that uh, there are several disparate energies that maybe could um, find that energy collectively if our studio used its abilities uh, to put together a citizen-led uh, public planning process. And so that's essentially what I did. I went back to the board uh, in June and said, I, we have the ability to do it. We have the funds on hand to take us through this study. We have Common Ground in Nashville who worked on the form-based code and worked through the background of the coding in the, the Southside area, um, knows this area, uh, is very familiar with this area. We also have um, consultants, uh, Noel Consulting out of Atlanta, who are very familiar with the economic uh, capacities of our community, have done that for several uh, recent planning efforts. So if we put this team together, we could offer that as a resource to the community, offer it through a citizen-led charrette-style process. And, um, and now, see, that's how we should have started out the podcast because that was just the best explanation of what it is you guys do in terms of bringing together all these different organizations who are all doing great things, right? But but there's there's a certain power and synergy that happens uh, when you can put them all in the same room and say like, you guys you guys want to see the best, you know, whatever happen in this area, uh, but we need to come together with this plan. Uh, and and you guys kind of facilitated those conversations. This is a audio platform. Uh, so <laughs> to help people kind of imagine what area we're talking about, can you give us the boundaries of the South Broad District and, and where we're talking about geographically within Chattanooga? Absolutely. So when we put together the consultants, we talked to them. When when in, when you work on a a project of this scale, it's a, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 acres um, of land. You really kind of need definitive boundaries. And so if you can imagine that we have I-24 to the north, we have the Howard campus and Chattanooga Creek to the east and the south, Chattanooga Creek to the south, uh, and the Tennessee River to the west. And so the footprint uh, that we bounded has really, really logical geographical boundaries so that we could establish um, that entire study and put definitive edges to that. One of the things is we've been kind of diagramming the city and understanding downtown Chattanooga. One of the things that's interesting about South Broad and its location um, in relation to the city is you think about the, the downtown core and some of the planning efforts that have, that have um, been underway in the past few years, Erlanger and the third and fourth street corridor. And then you kind of, you go a little bit further south and there's UTC and it feeds into downtown. There's the south side and it feeds into downtown. And then I think part of what this, what the studio is going to be focusing on over the next few years is how do those planning efforts weave together? But then also where do we infuse energy where there hasn't been any? So South Broad is one of those places, another kind of ring around the city, this, you know, the southern anchor of downtown that, that we're starting to think about how does that, how do we stitch that into the strength of our downtown? And then going further west, there's another void that, that the studio, I think, will eventually be looking at with partners, and it's the west side. And so those, all of those areas kind of ring our downtown. And if you think about the, the first ring neighborhoods that are the Highland Park and 
um, the North Shore and all of the eastern neighborhoods, as you as you zoom in, the South Side is one of those key pieces that really touches downtown. And so I think the the um, the planning efforts there, we're going to continue to see. Um, that effort is is part of how we continue to strengthen our downtown core. Mm. Eric mentioned that the district is 400 something odd acres, but when you see it on a map too, when you see it visually, you realize how huge that is compared to the the downtown core, what we identify as the downtown. So not to take advantage of this opportunity with all this momentum, you know, all these people who are doing work in the area already, if we can harness that, then it's easy to see the impact is is huge too. The potential for that to positively impact our downtown and the city as a whole is massive. Yeah, and so you know, just talking about what is in this area, you do have How- the Howard School uh, sort of on the east side, uh, but also on the, but on the west side, that's where you have the the Wheeland Foundry, the old U.S. Pipe, um, and so those giant empty factories um, that you see when you drive on I twenty four. Um, and, and so, yeah, there, there's, there's so much opportunity there um, that it was, it was kind of ripe for, you know, an organization like you guys and for developers to really start to look at this area. And, and you know, what's amazing is actually even just looking at these boundaries um, is, is the way sort of when we think about our city and we think of even about downtown, the way certain uh, federal projects have limited our imagination, <laughs> right? Um, so, so I think it's, it, you know, I, like I said, I-24 forms the major barrier of this district um, and even when we're talking about Southside, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are doing work like in Alton Park and stuff like that. And, and they, they almost get mm-hmm. offended when we talk about yeah. Southside because like, you know, because you because we've given it that name and nobody really gave it that name. It just kind of it, it did grow up organically. But but it's really cut us off from the city in a way um, mm-hmm. that, that we really feel have felt left out. And so um, so it, so it is exciting to, to sort of move beyond those typical boundaries that seem to limit our imagination when it comes to our city that are really just roads. So, you know, Eric, when you, when you first talked about this, you said you wanted this to be a citizen-led initiative uh, in a Shred style. You know, I don't, when we say Shred, I don't think a lot of people know exactly what we're talking about. But, but how has this plan, this 136-page plan, um, how have you guys engaged the community to come up with sort of the ideas and the recommendations that are in here? So we began in August. Uh, we held two open public meetings that use facilitated a nominal group process where we had round tables, we had up to 10 people sitting at each table, focused on maps, facilitated. With and these are residents, business owners? Right. I should back up and say that um, to have these two meetings, one was on a Thursday evening, one was on a Saturday morning, to try to get as much uh, citizen input as possible and as many people with backgrounds in their lives and, and, and busy lives uh, to these meetings as possible. We sent over uh, 780 flyers, uh, postcards, direct mailers to um, property owners within uh, about 10 blocks north and about 10 blocks south of that district. Uh, we had help on the ground, uh, knocking door to door. We got set back a little bit from Hurricane Irma on some of this because of the timing. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that <laughs> that happened uh, right on one of our public meetings. Um, but it, it didn't set back the energy. We had over 200 people participate uh, in our in our sessions, and it did it did look like that, just that um, roundtables of up to 10 people. We had professional facilitators at each table, um, and collecting the big ideas and putting them on a map, writing them down. We had at the end of that process Saturday afternoon, we had over 17 maps and 
uh, comment cards and collected ideas reported back from each table to uh, the, the group that met. Um, it's scientific, but it's not scientific. We recorded each one of those comments, extracted each one of those comments off of the maps and off of the comment cards and, and put it into a spreadsheet and very quickly saw some common threads and you would, you would see things such as connect Howard High School to the neighborhood, mm. connect the neighborhood to the Wheeland Foundry site. And the, um, I'm really proud of what came out of that in a lot of ways um, because the community saw, uh, I think, what are some of the most common basic opportunities that exist in this district right next to our downtown. Um, and I'll, I, in, in some critical way, I'll say that um, we didn't hit huge pie-in-the-sky ideas like such as taking down the interstate. Um, but I think, I think the, the citizens that came were super rational and super excited about truly making place uh, and this this district that is within a ten minute walking distance of our yeah. downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be nice if we could sink you know I twenty four underground mm-hmm. and just make it a big giant tunnel. That'd be awesome, especially connecting. Then you could connect this district right to the river, which would be beautiful. But that's probably unrealistic. <laughs> we can dream. Uh, yeah, we can dream, can't we? <laughs> well, I mean, do, you know, talking about I twenty four because it is such a. Um, I, I don't want to use any negative terms, but uh, but barrier is the only word that comes to mind. Um, it, within the recommendations of the plan, uh, w- was there any way to better connect sort of this area to downtown um, beyond the interstate? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what ideas there are to be able to sort of overcome that as a barrier. Well, we need as many uh, streets connecting as possible. We need as much of the grid flowing underneath of the interstate as possible. And then over time, um, we may need to, as the community grows, uh, in that neighborhood, figure out even more repair kit that gets more connectivity, whether it be uh, public art underneath the underpasses. It's just uh, it's an impenetrable it's an impenetrable barrier right now. It's 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 not very um, pleasant to walk through at the, at this point in time. Uh, it's hardly pleasant to to bike through, and so mm-hmm. um, this is the first step. And actually, this is the state of Tennessee's step. To remove the clover leaves, clover leaves take an enormous amount, enormous amount of space. Of yeah. space. Mm-hmm. To take the clover leaves and turn those into a frontage road uh, gives us basically one block back. Each wow. one of those clover leaves o- occupies about five acres of land. Yeah. Um, so our community really needs to look into the excess land policy and make sure that we can get our our neighborhoods one block closer to one another. Yeah. That's essentially how we should look mm-hmm. at that. We're we're getting one block closer to one another. Mm-hmm. That's great. So T dot has been a was was T dot much of a partner in this plan? That's the other. Uh, that's the thing I failed to mention about the um, the process that we went through. We had two of large public charrettes, but we also held a full day of stakeholder sessions with over fifty fifty or so people participating in those, where we broke down the issues such as education, transportation, housing, uh, re- religious. Uh, we had uh, all of the churches from the community uh, visit us. Um, and that was a full day long from 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Uh, stacked up with, um, with wonderful, I, I think we learned more about um, that portion of our community, the South Broad District, from that day mm-hmm. uh, than we ever could have, had we yeah. not. And, and those, those people were our boots on the ground. I think this process reflects, and what Eric touched on there, is that listening is a big part of what we do. So that was the foundation of all of the stakeholder and public engagement was just giving people a chance to say what they thought, what they believed in, what they were ready to go to bat for. And 
um, identify the needs that they saw. And so that, uh, that actually was the first week I, I was working at the studio. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought, okay, yeah, like a nice calm week to, to acclimate and get used to this new place. And, uh, you know, those public meetings were the first week, but it was, it was so amazing to see a microcosm of the work that we do in that, like setting it up, making the space for people to share, um, share their experience and share their ideas. Mm-hmm. Now, part of your guys' process of really mapping out the uses, the current uses of this area, and it is all over the map, from industrial spaces to neighborhoods to schools. Um, but you, th- there is something on the map that I just want to point out, and I'd love for you to explain a little bit more. Um, so, so I'm looking at a map right now. It's color-coded based on their use. Um, but you do have these things called nodes uh, that, are, that are within this map. What, what, what is a node? Ah. A node is a center of activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put it simply, uh, some of those are, are um, critical gateways that the community identified through um, through the maps and the SHRIP process. Others are uh, classic connectivity points to where it's like a park. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And and I noticed Howard High School is the Howard School is also sort of a civic node within this within this area. Uh, and I, and I love the way you laid that out because obviously I'm I'm on MLK and uh, and I've done a lot of work with that. Um, sort of merch association, and what, what's what's beautiful about MLK when we talk about it is is not the fact that we have such a, a diversity of businesses, whether that's you know uh, white versus African American owned businesses or the type of businesses, salons versus restaurants versus breweries. We actually have amazing cultural institutions on that boulevard that we don't want to lose, and, and we want to highlight and recognize between the Urban League uh, and the Bessie Smith Cultural Center. And so I, I love seeing that on your map that you've kind of done the same sort of thing. It's it's not just about where people live and where people work, but it's about those sort of class classic civic spaces and institutions as well. Yes, we, we heard uh, something that was very shocking, and I, I believe it. we turned it into positive energy. We heard that uh, Harris Johnson Park, which is directly across from high school, from uh, Howard High School, that the Howard alumni used to meet there every year mm-hmm. uh, for, for decades, and they no longer do that. And so in one hand, that's very telling about what's going on in the district. On the other hand, I think t- for me personally, it put a lot of fuel behind me t- to make this plan mm-hmm. very rich and very culturally supportive of yeah. Howard as an institution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's there's you know there's two easy pieces to break down on this plan: the the east and the west ends of it, the Wheel and Foundry. That's a big site, right for development. So you can mm-hmm. imagine bigger bigger buildings, bigger you know bigger footprints being developed there. There's the Howard Howard campus. That's a cultural anchor. But right in between, there's the South Side Gardens, and I think that's where the strength and the success of this plan is gonna is gonna hinge in that neighborhood that neighborhood scale and how we really infuse this plan um as another great chattanooga neighborhood for the people that that live there today um and for people that that may move in as that as that neighborhood develops that's i think where the the strength of this plan is gonna is going to hinge so we're, we're going to be talking a lot about the land use within this plan. But the other thing you guys are really, really interested in was, was mobility and, and really how are people moving around this district? What are the connective tissues uh, within this district? So, you know, I kind of like to hear, you know, kind of what did you find surprising within that? Uh, and, then maybe, and then maybe we can talk about the recommendations of how you can strengthen the, the roadways and the connective tissue within this district. What, what, was, what was surprising within the, within the mobility study? Well, Clearly what we heard from the community was quite a bit about the east-west connections, Howard to the neighborhood, neighborhood to uh, the foundry site. 
And and so um, what we do, what I always say that we do is marry community visioning with sound planning. So when we got back to the studio and started talking about the east-west connectivity, we needed north-south connectivity enhancements. And so market and broad are, are critical to that. Uh, what I believe for me was very surprising was that uh, the capacity of the traffic on Broad Street, current that's currently. It's a lot. That's not a future capacity. It is. Right. It, Broad Street moves a lot of vehicles through our community. <laughs> and our ability to do some of the things that are currently happening in other parts of our community, which we call road diet or or changing, taking lanes and, and, and dedicating that to public space, to other public space, pedestrians or bikes or whatever, uh, is not necessarily possible on Broad Street. And so we have to look for other strategies. Mm-hmm. But Market Street, in the other hand, on the other hand, does have that capacity. And we feel like that capacity uh, can be uh, leveraged in either a median or just reducing the lane widths at, at, at key intersections. And um, that can create connectivity. The, the less travel lanes you have to cross to get from Howard, walking into Harris Johnson Park, the better. And so Market has the best opportunity. Broad Street, we have to look at delicately over the next couple of years. And then we also uh, identified uh, 26th Street as a key cultural spine through the corridor which connects Howard's front door, Howard's legible front door, all the way to um, the founder site. Okay. And so that's, a, that that's one, an east-west. Is that west the one that's closest to the interstate? 26th. Uh, tw- we're calling mm. that, I believe, 24th. It's a new 24th. Yes, that's right. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not there today. Uh, but we're, we're, we're trying to plan for the enhancements of getting a new block out of that. As I said before, right. you know, we... We need the excess land possibility to create a new block when those clover leaves go away. Yeah, and I, I know the other thing that was really interesting, the mobility study, actually maybe it's not in that part of the document, but, um, but really what, what something you guys want to highlight that, pro- that really isn't highlighted within the South, South uh, Broad Street area is Chattanooga Creek as, as an asset uh, of this district. Um, and I know somewhere in, within your study, you guys talk about actually creating maybe a new greenway uh, that runs along the Chattanooga Creek on that south side of, of this district um, and, and, and possibly see that as, as maybe a new, um, new form of connective tissue for this district as well. Yeah, we heard from almost every group that they wanted some recognition of the creek, um, whether it was through environmental work or recreational facilities, that they saw a huge opportunity for that neighborhood to be more connected with that natural asset. And um, that's a long road. That's a really complicated process to think about building new greenways. Uh, but as in terms of setting a vision, I think that's a really awesome possibility in this plan and that it could connect to the Riverwalk and reinforce how this neighborhood supports, uh, you know, part of a greater network of, of neighborhoods around it. Yeah, and I, and I do want to point out as we're talking about the South Broad District study, most of what we're talking about is going to be sort of long distance planning. Like <laughs> it's really just putting out a vision for how this area can grow, you know, over the next five and 10 years. Um, and so, so uh, hopefully you guys don't feel any pressure that this is supposed to happen tomorrow or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a long-term plan. It's just good that it's out there because now this, hel- this helps the, the beautiful thing about these plans is it just helps people reimagine, um, certain areas of our city uh, and get a vision for that. Now, now talking about Howard. So as we, as we transition to talking about more about the, the different land, uh, uses, we really have three different sections and starting on the East, you have the Howard area because um, it's a very large area there's so much land sitting behind Howard High School that's completely underutilized uh, moving into Southside Gardens and then over into the Wheel and Foundry um, in US Pipe area um, 
as as we're talking about this, let's let's start with with the market and Howard area of this district. Uh, what were some of the recommendations you guys put out there for the use of that Howard land? The Howard land really uh, has the um, former Poss home site to the north of it, uh, which at one time held. Uh, about 600 housing units. Uh, we think that some portion of that could go back to um, some low to moderate type uh, housing project. Is that just owned by the city right now, that lot? Uh, it's owned by the county, okay. uh, by, by the, um, the, the school system. Um, we, we think that, uh, and also the community felt that uh, the Market Street edge is really critical. And again, it's reinforcing exactly what we talked about earlier. The, the minute you can have uh, occupied active edges as you get beneath the interstate going either direction, the better. It, it creates uh, less of a chasm uh, for our urban grid. Mm. Um, and that site is critical to help us do that. Also, uh, we need to leverage uh, the track and field improvements that have been announced and are, are currently being planned uh, and make sure that um, they fit into the campus in a way that uh, has the best long-term strategy for that growing campus um, and thinks about how um, all of the students can access that and can um, save the existing church, the, the uh, New Emmanuel Hope ch Church, um, preserve that church, put it into a, a, a pleasant green space, and also provide shared parking for both facilities. So we're saying a lot of things about the campus at a very high altitude. Um, we probably will need to help, and we are currently working with Barge Design Solutions at a much lower altitude and thinking about the campus at a, mm -hmm. with a finer grain and a sharp, more sharpened pencil. Um, and then, of course, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the interview here, that uh, connecting the Howard campus, the physical front door of Howard, to Harris Johnson Park is an absolutely critical component of the plan. I think a lot of the Howard portion of the plan in particular is, is about people. It's about how, how do we help those students have access to recreation? How can we help calm traffic so that it feels like a safer uh, street to walk along or bike along or even drive on? Um, and how do we activate the assets that are already there in a really smart way, you know, by kind of connecting things with a grid and reinforcing that sort of Western connection in particular that Eric mentioned earlier. All right, so then, you know, as we kind of, you know, move e move west in within the, the South Broad District, uh, the next big area there is Southside Gardens, um, which currently has, you know, it seems like it's, it's a bunch of, of homes, um, but also a couple different churches. And uh, and so talk about what, what what's the plan for this sort of middle section between these two larger areas? What we heard from the community very clearly was a, a mixed income, mixed use community. And in order to do that um, in the framework plan, what you'll see in the very center of the plan is a very legible single family porch front house type streets. Um, and then radiating out from that, uh, the density would increase uh, towards Market and Broad Street. I don't remember who it was that was, I was talking to about this, um, but you know, I, you know, I, like I said, I live in Highland Park. And I think what would be incredible, I live on the south side of Highland Park, so I'm on 14th, mm -hmm. which is one block off, off Main. Mm -hmm. What would be phenomenal for, for, for my neighborhood and just to, to be able to get sort of the density required to get retail and restaurants 
further down Main Street is to have you know some smaller you know maybe two to three story apartment complex that are right there on Main Street, um, but you know obviously not necessarily into the neighborhood. Like that's a that's a single family home neighborhood. It needs to stay that way. But the perimeter, if you could add some more high impact, high density housing, then that's going to create the density that that is required for any sort of commercial success, uh, sort of around that around that neighborhood. And transit success. I mean. Um, we have to support our transit corridors with higher intensity and higher density uses for the critical success of a transit system. And it's, it's amazing that all of these things uh, are linked together and they create neighborhood success. They create transit success. They create less traffic on our streets because of the individual car isn't so necessary. And so um, all of those things are legible in this plan as, as much as they are in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's... As Chattanooga grows, the strength of the neighborhoods is going to be tied to the strength of those corridors that, that connect to our downtown. So whether it's Main Street and Highland Park or Market or Broad in the uh, in the new um, South Broad District, I mean, the way those corridors develop and respond to connecting to our city um, with a higher level of intensity that supports the single-family neighborhoods and maintains them, I think that that's going to be a key piece of not only the South Broad District, but the, you know, our other ring neighborhoods around around Chattanooga. And while we understand that as professionals, it was really powerful to see that people almost intuitively recognized it too, that our the way our zoning was shaped in American cities sort of isolates land uses. And um, we've seen the impact that that has over time. So people understand, I think, based on their own experience by traveling to cities that they really love or neighborhoods that they love, um, they understand that our city is better when we have a, a range of experiences that can happen in the same place and that we're strengthened, our communities are strengthened by difference in that way. And so we heard we heard so much of that in the input part of this plan that people really wanted diversity in what was there. They wanted it um, to as a way to encourage a diversity of people who could live in the neighborhood, but also to create different kinds of experiences within the district. Uh, that was, to me, really powerful to see. People get it. You know, we just have to ask. So you guys have some ideas within this plan that actually, I think, uh, well, it, it was surprising to me, I'll put it that <laughs> way. Um, and, and so go ahead and talk about, you guys even talk about big box stores and this this area being a possibility for that, so long as it's the, they're fitting their big box stores within into an urban context. Uh, so how, how would that actually fit in, in, into this, Eric? Well, we continued to hear during the process that there were pressures and uh, opportunities for um, some of these bigger box retailers looking in this, this part of our community. Uh, and then we also heard it uh, very clearly from our economic consultant uh, that the minute that the state of Tennessee makes these improvements, a direct access off-ramp on Broad Street, uh, uh, limited access sort of uh, frontage road. These are all the improvements that these kind of retailers look for. And so we felt it in our imperative to uh, make a statement about that in an urbanistic way and draw that in the illustrative plan that shows how many cities are tackling the both and of these types of retailers that um, they sort of want a parking lot, they want to have people park and come to the store, but then having neighborhood streets at the same time, and we can do that, and this is happening in other communities in this city, in the United States, um, with brands such as Target, 
or Publix or other brands that people recognize. It's not necessarily Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've heard that one a couple Trader times. Yeah. The most. I would love that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a brand. It's a sign, really. It's the physicality in which we fit them, fit these uh, stores into our neighborhood, and we have to kind of evolve back to um, probably the notion that we had when we adopted the car as one of our means of getting around, which is smaller parking lots. The convenience is still there. The store still fronts um, a, a parking lot of some sort, yeah. um, but also has a neighborhood street that fronts a neighborhood type character um, and has a presence that's much more uh, appealing and walkable um, I- I on the neighborhood side. And that's, that's exactly what you see in the illustrious plan. Well, okay, so that leads us to the, the, the furthest west, and that's the old Wheeland Founder U.S. pipe site. And, um, I mean, really, the, the, this old area, I mean, it's, it, it almost feels like the Wild West. Anything could possibly, you know, anything could happen there. Uh, but what you guys have structured within this plan is, you know, the, these are some ideas for how this space can best be utilized, um, not only to just... Uh, you know, meet some needs, but you got some big ideas like a baseball stadium in there that will really help push the economic development of this entire district. Um, and so, um, yeah, t- talk talk me through the what your guys' ideas, sort of the recommendations, what you heard from the community when it came to the Wheel and U.S. Pipe site. So this is an appropriate place to say and remind ourselves that the South Broad District really is not without, particular with the Wheel and Foundry site, um, and then we talked with the current owners about the current opportunities. We had the current owners meet our economic consultant. A lot of those conversations really um, blossomed the fact that what we need to do first and foremost and continue to, to uh, on the sound planning that came before us, which is create block, create a block system, create a grid system, connect the foundry site uh, to the grid system, just the way the community said uh, in our charrettes, and seize the opportunity for um, a, a a very very unique entertainment district uh, in our in our uh, city, uh, which could have a gateway component to it, which many people in uh, the Charettes talked about mm-hmm. on the I twenty four side of the Foundry site, and have a neighborhood component to it on the Broad Street side. And so uh, it's a it's a very unique opportunity in our city, and um, the structure that you see what we put in place is not unlike what I just said about the big box retail opportunities. We have to be complicit and, and real about uh, the economic opportunities that people have at hand. And I told everyone uh, uh, from the first charrette that um, a, a ballpark has been a realistic conversation between a, a land, a current landowner and a current ballpark team owner, a, a current uh, team owner. Um, and there's really nothing that any of us can do about that because that's private land and yeah. a private company. Um, and so we might as well, as a studio, be uh, for- forthright about it and say, how can, if this is an opportunity, it's an, if it's an economic opportunity, how can it best fit into an urban design strategy for reimagining a 160-acre industrial site? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you see on the framework plan. What you see is a ballpark surrounded by activity, a ballpark that acts like a 350-day-a-year green space, mm-hmm. a ballpark that acts like a public park where, that... Uh, you would want to have a housing unit front and look upon because it's a beautiful green space that's manicured (laughs) like a golf course. And um, in many ways, if we leverage those spaces and the old town planning principles, what like 
such as Wrigley Field or Fenway, where the city surrounds the ballpark and the ballpark is the city and the city is the ballpark, mm -hmm. then I think we can find uh, our way through uh, a reasonable way in which to, to locate that cultural city mm -hmm. facility. Yeah, I mean, ever, ever since the lookouts were bought, it's been pretty well known that they, they want to find a new stadium. I'm just incredibly thankful and glad that their their imagination is staying downtown and, and it's not taking it out to you know, a, a Hamilton Place, which wouldn't be awful, but I think one of the beautiful assets of, of the city of Chattanooga is, is the way we've maintained and kept density in the downtown. You know, the, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but in the 80s, like, TVA was going to move outside of the city, up, up the river a ways, and it was a huge effort of the city leaders to keep them downtown. And I just think that's so important to keep those massive sort of, um, when it comes to companies, those massive companies that have so many employees in the downtown core, uh, but also some of these key entertainment venues of our city uh, to keep those within the downtown as well uh, is really important for the economic future of our downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one of the exciting things about our work is that it that it has this long-term arc, that it sets these big picture visions. And some of the frustrating parts of it is that mm -hmm. it doesn't really happen all the time like it's been drawn. Um, but that's where the rubber hits the road in that we're setting, we're setting a vision for, for what is possible. And now we're going to start digging into to pieces of it and how it actually um, – um, shapes up is going to be in sticking to the urban design principles. I mean, private private development happens as a has a kind of a nature of its own in, in the way that mm -hmm. it shapes our city. And as urban designers and as the studio, I think what um, whether it's a ballpark or another use that that comes to that area, what what we're trying to achieve are urban design principles as it relates to enhancing the public realm. Well, okay, so you guys have created the study, and again, it's it's about a 136 page book that um, there'll be show links in the show notes to this episode that you guys can check it out for yourself. Uh, but what's what's sort of the timeline for implementation? Is this like, like what does it mean for this to be official? Um, like what, what are the next steps for you guys at this point? Matt, I think you said it best. I mean, this is, uh, this is a 10, 15 year strategy and uh, the real work begins now. Um, what, what we set out to do really was to create a community vision. We did not set out to set in place policy at all. It has evolved to a place where our current councilman, Councilman Oglesby, is very excited about it, and he has uh, adamantly and uh, enthusiastically said that he would like this process adopted and so that it has guiding principles for how we make decisions in the future in this district. Uh, we have held now two uh, large public meetings, the first of which was an open house, the second of which was a planning commission meeting. We have uh, city council meetings, uh, the second and the tenth, uh, hearing the South Broad Plan, uh, and that's the part of the adoption process, and then it will be a formally adopted uh, plan. And from there, our community really needs to go through a decision-making process as to when the regional planning agency looks at Area 3, which I, I believe is the number for downtown, to decide whether we want to go through a rezoning process of, as a part of this and rezone this part of our, this district in our downtown to kind of match the framework plan that's been put in place. Um, the framework plan is really just a guiding character plan. It doesn't have it doesn't have zoning policy with it. Right, um, right. Yeah. And so those are those are the next steps after adoption. Um, we're currently involved in a process to help the Wheeland Foundry site owners identify a, a very, very um, large national type developer that okay. could have the wherewithal to begin the process of the 160 acre site. Is this not a matter of just 
developing on it. There's a lot of cleanup that has to happen. I mean, it's a it's an it's a former industrial site, so there's a, there's a lot that has to happen there. That's right. And I'm very keen on uh, the Southside Gardens neighborhood. We're working with uh, a few developers in the neighborhoods that are current that are currently working on projects, uh, designing those projects uh, that uh, will be the first really large steps within that neighborhood. But then assembling a group, a task force, or whatever uh, the appropriate term is, to make sure that we we have a keen focus on affordability uh, and that we keep our eyes on that uh, as early as possible. Um, I'm very, very pleased. I was heavily involved in the, I call it the South Main plan or the Bicentennial plan, Cower Place, Fort Negley, Jefferson Heights. I'm very, very pleased that I hear that conversation happening more and more often every week, every other day uh, about the South Broad plan because I think um, it's one of the things that we have to get right this time. Yeah. We have to get right yeah. this time. It'll be, it'll be very difficult to uh, continue to... Um, uh, fight the pressures, the upward pressures of real estate um, and uh, mobility pressures in that neighborhood. But we need to really, really intensively focus on it early this time. Yeah, and and the other thing with that about getting it right, I mean, so much of your guys' job is about building trust between partners and stuff right. like that. And so, um, yeah, I would imagine you know you guys are the ones organizing these charrettes and community meetings. There, there's residents that put a lot of trust in, into what you guys are doing, and and so yeah, I mean, just for their sake, right. you got to get it right. And then, as I mentioned before, so uh, walking across the district, as I mentioned before, we'll be working with Howard uh, and and um, the school system to help imagine that campus and how it could improve over the next several years. All right. Well, I, you know, I like to end my podcast with a with a fun question that kind of helps expose people to some of the, maybe some of the hidden treasures of Chattanooga. Um, and so, you know, the question for you is is if uh, if you were to have a friend come to Chattanooga who's never been here, um, you know, what 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 time of year would you want them to come? Mm -hmm. And what's the one place you would take them in the city? Um, it, you know, it could be anything, restaurant, park, whatever. Um, so what time of year would they come and what would you take them to do? Okay, this is this works because I had a friend come for the first time last weekend. Um, fall is my favorite season. Absolutely. I think it's the best season Amazing. to be here because it's still warm but you get all the beautiful color um that's that's my favorite chattanooga my favorite version of chattanooga and my favorite spot in chattanooga our little network is up in the bluff view district um, we started at the sculpture garden and you know walked around tony's and the museum and across the homeburg bridge i think that connection between the aquarium and up to bluff view is like it's beautiful it's yeah, one of my favorites it's amazing yeah all right, Lindsay, you're new to the city, so uh, I'm interested to see, hear what you what your favorite thing oh, is if you show somebody. I, I would say that that uh, Sally stole my thunder, but <laughs> um, so I, I guess that's a good sign. That's a that's a well loved loved place in our community. Ditto on fall, absolutely my my favorite time to be um, in the southeast with the with the colors changing. Um, I guess you know I, I live down in St. Elmo. One of the things that I that I love about that neighborhood is just the access to getting getting on a trail really quickly yeah. from my house um you know one place that in the fall that is just absolutely beautiful to go and it's just such a hidden treasure on the side of lookout mountain is glen falls mm -hmm. um it's such a i don't know it's, it's a, great it's a hidden it's a fantastic a, a hidden treasure on the yeah. side of lookout mountain that yeah. that you can either take the long way to get to and kind of traverse up the side of lookout mountain or if you're or if you're not feeling so inspired you can park and take a quick jaunt down a trail and and get to the falls pretty quickly but um that's a that's a pretty magical place that's that i'm really lucky to have in my backyard so pro tip for, for Chattanoogans, if you go to Glen Falls, do not park long ways. 
Make sure you pull in um, <laughs> to where your 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 the front of your car is facing the woods. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to go to Glen Falls and there's no parking because three cars have taken up the entire spot. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and and the other thing with fall too, you know, North Shore. If I love taking people on Stringer's Ridge in the fall as well mm-hmm. and, and getting out to that precipice where you can see the whole city. Um, and, and right now in the yeah. early spring and in the fall is the best time to do that. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Matt, I love uh, early summer. I love the late spring here, and I love uh, the passage, which is uh, just east of um, the saltwater aquarium. Okay, yeah, yeah, the um, steps that go down, and it's also a fountain. Yes. It's an amazing public space. It's it's really beautiful to see how, how many people use it in different ways. Uh, and and I, I think that um, it speaks a lot about us, and it's so wonderful when you bring a visitor uh, to our community to be able to talk about our true heritage, our origin heritage, uh, in a public space like that. Um, that is uh, very moving to me, and I always find that people are just amazed that that even exists in Chattanooga. Yeah, I mean, the, the level, it, it's always fun for us as a young family when we have our friends who come that have kids, uh, especially in the summertime. There's so many fountains, so many public places uh, to play. Um, it's just great. And that's, mm-hmm. that's by far one of our favorite places in the city in the summertime to take our kids. Well, thank you all so much for being here and talking about the studio. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much to Eric and Lindsay and Sally for stopping by the studio and having this conversation about urban design and specifically some of the projects they're working on, like the South Broad Study. Now, I I warned you at the beginning of the episode, this was a very visual conversation. And so if if you haven't had a chance yet to open up the South Broad Study and take a look for yourself, I highly recommend you do that. And like I said, you can do that in our show notes. And, you know, I highly recommend you checking out all the work at the Chattanooga Design Studio. They have an office on Broad Street. They would love for you to stop in. Thank you so much to the Chattanooga Public Library for being our studio sponsor. And my producer on this episode was Charles Allison. Well, thank you all for listening. Subscribe on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from, if you haven't done that yet. Remember, we want this to be something that connects, informs, and inspires you about what's happening in your city. So I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you back here next time.